0: The next six weeks, we are looking at how we live in a culture and a world that's been intrinsically shaped by the Christian faith, but tends to ignore how many values flow directly from the life and teachings of Jesus uh, himself. So our goal these next few weeks is how recognizing the values established by Jesus lead us to become better reflections of our Savior and representatives of his kingdom in a world that seems not just lost, but fairly broken. Uh, So even more importantly, our our recognition and commitment to those values frees us to be a clear witness uh, of his grace and reflect uh, his love. So knowing that these values are rooted in Jesus helps us to embody the practices of his kingdom and walk with our God, who not only defines what matters, but teaches us what it means to flourish as his children in our own life. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, so the very beginning of our Bible, if you're looking for it, uh, v- uh, verses 26 to 31. And we read in Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, this. At the very end of the creation story, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, and our likeness, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As followers of Jesus, how do we define or measure a person's value? The world in which we live doesn't offer us a super clear message to this question. On one level... It feels that there are some people who are valued over others. Sometimes it feels that only those with massive amounts of wealth or connections matter more than those who don't. Every year, magazines publish lists of the wealthiest people in the world. And that's good. That's fine. But they never compile a list of the best parents who love their children. They don't rank the most helpful neighbors. They don't celebrate those who extend kindness uh, to others on a regular basis, but maybe they should. Sometimes it seems the world measures people by how attractive they are or how well they do in business or what athletic skills they might have or whether they entertain us. And from how we admire those people, it feels that our culture, like the rest of the natural world, that maybe humanity remains subject to the rules about the survival of the fittest, that only the strongest or best looking are to be valued. But at the same time, we also have in our culture culture the suggestion that every person matters as well. We find this in our founding documents in our own nation. Thomas Jefferson summarizes this belief in the Declaration of Independence when he wrote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our culture expresses this ideal in how we care for those who cannot take care of themselves. We don't abandon the poor. We help those who are struggling. We have a social safety net for those who cannot help themselves. The Founding Fathers understood a quality, stood upon a spiritual foundation that all people were endowed, as Jefferson wrote, by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. But our current culture fails to make that deeper connection, and that leads us into a spiritual crisis. The movie It's a Wonderful Life gives us a compelling example of what happens when we can't answer that question clearly, when our culture can't answer that question, when we, uh, w- w- of what happens when we fail to recognize that we matter. If you've seen the movie, it's a great movie. If you haven't, you should go watch it. It's an older one. But uh, Facing Financial Ruin, the main character, George Bailey, is told by a local banker, uh, you are worth more dead than alive. Now, reduced to such monetary stark stark monetary value, he wanders to a bridge and he considers throwing himself into the river below. Now, sadly, this movie has proven terribly prophetic when people forget that they matter, that they have intrinsic value. Earlier this week, the CDC posted that about 49,000 people took their own lives last year in the United States. That's the highest number ever officially recorded. Available data suggests that suicides are more common now than at any time since the dawn of World War II. Now, suicide is a complicated issue, but these numbers suggest an alarming number of people in our society have failed to recognize that their life has value. Our obsession with social media or fame, our quest uh, to gain power, all of those uh tendencies of human nature tells a similar story. Why would we seek affirmation in those places if we already knew we were loved? Why would we try to control others if we knew that we had value? We are a culture starving for someone to tell us that we matter, but the answers that we receive fail usually to quiet our disturbed souls. Thankfully, the creation of our world in Genesis tells a very different story about the value of humanity. So in Genesis 1, every day ends with the Lord declaring what he made was good, or tov in Hebrew. It's one of my favorite Hebrew words. We've talked about this before. Uh, So tov can mean uh, good and pleasant and flourishing, or things working in the way that they were originally designed, in harmony with with one another and everything else. In the beginning, God's creation embodied all those meanings at once. But after he creates humanity, God looks over the complete picture, the whole picture, and declares it "very veritov, which can be translated as exceedingly good. One rabbi uh, describes what this means like this. He says the word ode, uh, um, uh, in this original Hebrew, it is uh, tov mi'od." The word ode is often translated as more. So if you're speaking in Hebrew and want a refill of coffee, uh, you ask for ode, for more of the same goodness that you've already experienced. The world is precisely like God intended it to be, full of goodness and his presence, but with humanity, there is the presence, there's a promise of something more. With humanity in place, goodness in the new universe has unparalleled potential. The distinction between humanity and the rest of creation begins to answer the question of our own value and uh, worth. The world and everything in it, the beauty of land and sea, the vast variety of plants, and the uniqueness of all the sorts of animals, all of that was declared good. Good. But when humanity came on the scene, all of it became very good. The design itself revealed aspects of God the creator, but only humanity was created in God's image. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project writes that humans come up from the ground just like all the other land creatures, but they're also more. They are God's image, which means that together men and women embody and represent the creator within his creation. On the very first page of our Bible we might expect to hear how it is God alone who rules over the world, but this is our role, born not to be enslaved, but reign alongside the creator. We are each kings and queens of the universe stamped with the image of God. David uh, recognizes our unique position of honor in Psalm 8 uh, when he writes this, What is man or woman that you remember them? You have made them little lesser than the angels of heaven, yet with glory and majesty you have crowned them. You have made them a ruler over the works of your hands. In the very beginning, our role was co-rulers of the universe, and that grants us a supernatural dignity that nothing can ever remove. Every member of humanity has intrinsic value simply by virtue of being created by God to be like God in his own image. Even when sin corrupts our hearts, the original design placed in each of us cannot be erased or completely obscured. The story of creation explicitly tells us That all people, if you are a member of the human race, you have intrinsic, inherent, eternal value. God's image has been imprinted on every person, which alters how we understand ourselves and other people in three distinct ways. And the first is this. If every person we encounter has been made in the image of God, They are worthy not just of our respect, but our wonder and awe. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that every person is a masterpiece of God's handiwork. David echoes this sentiment in Psalm 139, which Hayden read to us earlier. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Our God tells us that no matter who you are, where you're from, what your record is, what you've done or haven't done, you matter. Uh, uh, Pastor Tim Keller writes, every human being made in the image of God reflects God. Therefore, there is rock-solid, objective, irreducible glory and significance and value and worth about you and every human being there is, every single one of us, you, Brothers and sisters, you, along with every person you've encountered in your life, the funny-looking kid that sat next to you in grade school, the neighbors down the street that cut down all those trees, all the people in that elevator that one time, the people you cherish and those that let you down, all are made in the image of God by God for a specific purpose. Friends and families, strangers and people you hope to never see again Each of them carry the indelible mark of eternity within them. If everyone carries that value along with them, then everyone we have ever met or ever will meet in the future deserves our respect. In fact, our God values every person we've ever met so deeply he left heaven to claim them as his children. Jesus explicitly reaffirms the spiritual value of all people through his ministry, but most clearly in his death on the cross. Jesus declares in john fifteen twelve that his followers are called to love one another as I have loved you because every person is precious to God the Father, and that changes everything c s Lewis. Uh, wrote uh, wrote this he said is it is hardly possible for us to think too often or too deeply about that of your neighbor. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. it is immortal's whom we joke with, whom we work with and marry and snub and exploit a mortal Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors, and our charity, our love, must be real and costly because our neighbor is the holiest object presented to our senses. Understanding that every person has been endowed with this eternal value, we, uh, understanding this, Jesus requires us to approach everyone we meet with holy fear and reverence. Second, a person's value rests not in their utility, but their existence. In the Greco-Roman world, a person's value and rights were rooted in their capacities, and their natural gifts or learned skills. Now, this might be a surprise to some of us, but Aristotle, along with every other early philosopher, uh, believed that people were born unequal. Uh, Aristotle believed that some races of people were, were too emotional and naturally less intelligent than the Greeks. Now, he was Greek, so he thought he was pretty great. That makes sense. But he believed that other races, their inability to reason, meant that they deserved to be maybe slaves. That some people mattered more and some less was an obvious reality of existence to most people before Jesus. This lack of concern extended throughout uh, the Roman world, the ancient world. In addition to slavery, systems of, of welfare that looked after the poor simply didn't exist. Uh, abortion and infanticide, infanticide uh, were commonplace. The elderly and the sick were often left to die. Uh, historian uh, Rodney Stark explains that in that culture, without a family, you had no support System. No one to take care of you when you were sick. No one to help with food or rent when you couldn't work. No one to bury you when you died. In Rome, sick and elderly slaves were routinely left to waste away on Tiber Island, a strip of land in the middle of the Tiber River. Unwanted children were often left to die of exposure. Female infants were exposed much more often than males because a girl And that society not only added another mouth to feed, but she couldn't, according to Roman social customs, work to support the family. The early church, however, entered this world with a different understanding of people's values, of people's value. Followers of Jesus recognized that every person was made in the image of God, which meant no one deserved to be forgotten, and everyone was worth saving. Early believers became champions of every group that had been intentionally left behind or scorned. They took in widows and women abandoned by the system. They cared for the poor. They stood against abortion and rescued children left to die of exposure. When there were plagues, when sickness swept through cities, the Christians stayed behind and cared for the ill because they believed nobody deserved to be forgotten or die alone. Tim Keller, uh, Tim Keller explains that once you believe in the image of God, the circle of protected life expands to all people simply because they are God's children. In God's kingdom, our value rests not in what we do, but in who we are. Notice in this story that, God, that Yahweh eventually provides Adam and Eve with a specific purpose, but their capacity was not what made him love them. God didn't reluctantly extend love to Adam and Adam because he did such a good net job naming the animals, right and say, "Well, I guess you're OK and I, and I love you now." He poured his love on to and into Adam and Eve from the moment they first drew breath. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Uh, frames how believers should value others uh, like this. He preached the founding fathers really were influenced by the Bible. The whole concept of the imago Dei, the image of God, is that the is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected which gives every person a uniqueness, a worth, a dignity. We each have value because we, as God's children, uh, uh, because we are God's children and we honor others because they are too. Finally, while creation tells us we are born with goodness stamped onto our souls, Jesus frees us to live into that goodness again. Our sin defines us as God's rebellious children, inherently good creations that have wandered away from the deeper goodness our God promises to all who believe. But Jesus comes to save those whose natural goodness planted by God the Father within them has been hidden by sin. In Luke 5, Jesus declares, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. In Luke 19, uh, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The love of God extends to all people, even those who actively strive against his kingdom, even those who believe that they might not actually be good, that their goodness has been lost. Perhaps none of us have ever consciously made Deliberate choices that go against the commands of God the Father. Maybe none of us have stood before God and said, I don't want to follow you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But we too, all of us, once stood apart from God. Sometimes it's easy to feel like we don't matter, or maybe that we've lost the value that God placed in each of us by our own choices or decisions. There might be days where we don't feel very or we don't feel we measure up, or maybe we don't deserve God's love because we've messed up so badly. Maybe the choices we've made has erased that goodness that God planted in us. But the goodness that God imprinted on us at creation can never be lost. Even Even if it has been covered and hidden by the mistakes that we've made, By time and weariness and exhaustion, by doubts and skepticism about God's goodness, if we've forgotten that our God loves us more than we can imagine, if we somehow believe that we are no longer good and have something to offer this broken and confused world, we can look to Jesus who confirms that that goodness is still there validated by such amazing love we are called to recognize that same image of God in all people to love others just as he loved us and when we do this we embody the goodness he originally designed for his children when we see others as Jesus sees them and love them as God loves as God loves them we find our goodness has the potential to grow beyond ourselves, and flood our world with the grace of God. When we look at others and see them as God's children, worthy of love and honor and kindness, we glimpse a world where all things are again very good. Hallelujah. Amen.